and welcome once again to Hashtag True Story. I am so glad you're here and I think you are really going to enjoy our interview today. I had the pleasure of talking to Walker Day, who is a pastor at the church that I attend here in Jacksonville, Florida. To look at Walker today, you would see this great guy who is in the middle of all these great things at church, has a wonderful family, great friends, great life, and you would never dream where he came from. But Walker's story is a story of God's great redemption. So I hope you'll stick around and listen. Thanks so much. And um, let's get started. So I was born in Arkansas. Uh, My father uh, was an alcoholic and was running around on my mother. And so he left us when I was pretty young, but my mom and her parents, I mean, my whole family, um, both sides, my grandmother and my dad's side was a Christian, a, a real one, <laughs> and um, not just a, a church attender or uh, self-proclaimed, um, but anyways, and, uh, but my mother's family were Christians, and so I was raised, uh, you know, to know the Lord. I was raised, be, you know, I was taught about Him. Uh, we went to church church, uh, but it was more like an event that we attended. It was more uh, like a set of rules that I needed to follow. Um, It it was a lot of religion, Uh, but there were good parts about it, for sure. So, I mean, I remember growing up, we would, um, I would go to Sunday school, my mother and I would pray every night before I went to bed, and I, I really have felt like I knew because I didn't have a dad I had this fatherly relationship with God um, father-son relationship that um, I wish I'd known that's actually the way that he intended it but as I got older I got more and more indoctrinated with uh, you know God is kind of the uh, eternal rule keeper in the sky kind of theology and slowly I think just life happened and things happened and I drifted away. So one of the first, I guess, um, attempts of the enemy to derail me from my destiny was I was molested by a neighbor when I was about four years old. And as a kid, I can just remember um, harboring that secret. He, He threatened to kill me and my mom and all other kind of stuff if I told so. As a young child, um, keeping that secret, knowing this thing had happened, um, I know that it it played a significant role in how I saw the world, how I interacted with the people around me, and and ultimately um, put a, a wedge between me and God in, in some, some areas. Um, so that was when I was four. We were living in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time. Uh, right after that, my mom got married to a guy. Um, he's now a Christian. He wasn't at the time. He was verbally and physically abusive uh, to both of us. And But we would go to church on Sunday. So, again, I just had this really twisted view of who God was, what it took to know him, to know him, and what living 
for him looked like. I, I never really, I heard a message that was kind of, God's good, you're bad, try harder. And it, 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 something just didn't resonate in my spirit with the real, what I read in the Word, because I, I had this weird ability to understand the Word at a pretty young age. I can remember, you know, kind of having some Sunday school teachers, and we've bounced around to different denominations. I went through catechism once with the Presbyterian Church, I think, and just they were kind of amazed at some of the insights that I had into the Word. Um, but but what I saw around me and what I heard from the people who were supposed to represent Christ in my life uh, didn't match up. And at such a young age, I guess I didn't really know how to reconcile those two things, and so I allowed the enemy to start kind of whispering, and we moved to Jacksonville, Florida when I was, uh, I think I was 13, but in those few years in between what had happened to me and that moving here, I'd slowly started to kind of uh, drift towards rebellion and sin, um, finding cigarettes on the ground, trying um, just kind of just in a rebellious, uh, I guess, posture. But when we moved here to Jacksonville, uh, that was when I got exposed to, um, I guess, just some darker stuff. I, I remember the first time, uh, the, actually the night that I got saved, that I, that I made the decision for Christ, even though I grew up in the church. I was at a church uh, event. It was called Breakaway. And I believe Holy Spirit prompted me to get up and go down. I was crying. And I, at the time, we used the language of I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart. Uh, and I did that. And the very next day, um, a kid on the trip had somehow, I don't know why youth group kids were had drugs, but he had a joint, and I tried marijuana for the first time. And so I was in seventh, eighth grade at the time. And yeah, I tried marijuana for the first time. And much like Jesus, after the Holy Spirit fell on him, was led into the wilderness, um, except for I, I did not resist the devil like Jesus did. I, I just started to bite the bait. And that led to um, just more trouble, more rebellion. Uh, I got arrested for the first time when I was 16. I stole a radar detector. I was selling them at school or something, which prompted my parents to kind of be more, I guess, vigilant in trying to uh, fix me, I guess. So they started sending me to rehabs and weird stuff, which... Um, yeah, I wasn't, I, I wouldn't consider myself a drug addict at the time. I was just a kid who was lost and needed, needed some love and some support. And they did the best they could with the tools they had, no doubt. But it wasn't, wasn't really working. It just made it worse. Um, and so I would get in trouble here in Florida. I'd go live with my dad in Arkansas, get in trouble there, come back, and did that for a couple years. And I eventually got in some trouble out there and ended up in jail and they were going to charge me as an adult with stealing a car or I had an option to go to this uh, like a sheriff's ranch boys home type situation it wasn't state run so the Christians ran it which was nice but the state did send people there and so the, the, the court gave me that option 
And this, this whole time, even when I was in rebellion, um, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. God was speaking to me. I knew better. I just really didn't know how to break out of it. I didn't know how to live the life that I knew I was supposed to be living. But so when I was at this place, um, I spent six months there, and it was good. But I really, um, I kind of, I guess I just kind of played the game. I knew how to talk the talk. So I got through it, got out, came back out here to Florida, and started at a new school my junior and senior year. I was a year behind everyone else because of that year I'd spent at that place and in trouble. But again, I was at a Catholic school. I mean, I, I, I'm not Catholic, but I just, the Lord was still, we were still reading scripture and praying, and I knew that God was after me. Um, but I was still in rebellion. I still thought I could have one foot in and one foot out. And I think when I was about 23, I had a, a couple of events that happened simultaneously. I lost my grandmother, who was um, very dear to me, my mom's mom. And my best friend committed suicide all within a couple of months. And I had started dabbling in pills. This was 2002 or three, somewhere in there. And just the, the weight of that, those two losses, the two closest people in my life, um, and then here was a drug that I could take, and I knew better because I'd heard bad things about it, even though I was getting them for some other people, and you know I knew better. But I did them one day, and I sniffed some oxycotton's, and all the the tears dried up, and the pain went away, and I was like, oh wow, here's here's my solution. But I can remember. You know, I would be driving to the drug dealer's house just crying, asking God to take it from me, feeling shame, um, you know, feeling like my grandmother could see me, but then I would just still go get it and go do it. I just couldn't break out of it, especially once I was physically addicted. Um, and so that lasted for about a year or two, and then I ended up getting in some trouble, and I ended up in jail, spent 90 days without a bond, went through all the withdrawals, which was pretty horrible. I was doing other stuff too that has withdrawal symptoms, benzodiazepines and other drugs. And so it was pretty horrible, but I, I got physically sober and I got out and I went back to my dad's in Arkansas and I was gonna go live out there. But I, again, I thought I could, I could still smoke pot and drink and dabble with other stuff and I'd be okay. And and I did for a couple years, and then the opiates came back. And really, from that, that's when I first um, used a needle, which was a, a, a game changer. And I think I was 25 at that time. And then I spent basically from 25 to 30, you know, running from the Lord, in and out of jail, in and out of uh, addiction, always trying to, to stop, but never knowing really how to. And um, when I was 29, I got arrested for DUI, ended up in jail. I met a guy in there. We were doing a Bible study. The state was trying to put me in this place called The Matrix. I told the Lord, this other guy told me about this place called the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center. It was Christ-centered. I knew I promised God I would go. He did his part. 
I got out of jail and I started to question whether or not that was really what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I, I took about a week of trying to do it myself and not follow through with my, my part of the deal and ended up back on drugs, dabbling in the pills. And I just said, all right, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a disciple. I don't know how to follow the Lord. I don't know how to just be a normal person, period. So I went and checked myself in. I spent six months at the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center. And while I was there, I started going to Beach United Methodist because my mom and my little sister were going there. My, my little sister was in um, our lead pastor, Joby's um, small group. And so he and his wife had been praying for me for years, but not by name, just my drug addict brother in Arkansas. So anyways, I'm, I started going there. I heard the gospel. Heard Romans 5.8, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and it, it really changed everything for me. I had spent so much time, I guess, in scenarios where I had to earn people's love that when I heard messages about God like that, it just turned me off. So when I realized that God loved me first and my response was obedience, something something happened, and I wanted, I wanted to follow Him. I wanted to do His will, so I made new friends. I did all the stuff. I showed up every time the door opened and um, ended up getting to know Pastor Joby a little bit, went to Africa on a mission trip, came back, and then um, I, I mentioned earlier that my best friend had committed suicide. Well, um, I ended up reconnecting with his girlfriend, who at the time was one of my best friends. She was really good friends with my girlfriend. And um, if the friend zone was a bottomless pit, that's where she was. I mean, we were, there was nothing, no romance, anything, never thought it could be, but something happened. We fell in love and we signed up for a mission trip. We ended up um, just deciding that we wanted to see if Pastor Joby would marry us on the mission trip. He said yes. We weren't going to tell anybody because we didn't want to take away from the trip. I told a stranger on the airplane over and somebody from the trip heard and they ended up making it a really big deal and Pastor Joby says it's one of his top three weddings ever but we got married on a mission trip it was all peaches we came back we bought a house right behind the church I quit my job running a company for my friend and came to work at the church I just knew that's what I wanted to do when we launched and I came on as a facilities coordinator and you know I told Pastor Joby I want to be a part of this I'll sweep the floors I'll clean the toilets I'll do whatever and so they came back and said, do you want to sweep the floors and clean the toilets? <laughs> yeah. So I said, sure. So I came on as a facilities coordinator because of my past. And I'd done some uh, a thing called Stephen Ministry where I was trained as a lay minister. And because of that, I think combined with my past, I just kind of started doing a lot of ministry with people who um, I guess other people didn't feel equipped to minister to. Um, just kind of crazy situations or homeless or whatever. And just started building that and got some more training and ended up getting ordained, became the care pastor. Uh, my wife and I have two beautiful kids. I mean, we've been through a lot. It hasn't all been easy. We both came into this marriage with a bunch of wounds and a past, but God has healed and redeemed, and we're in the best place we've ever been for years now. And the kids are great, and life is great. I mean, there's challenges every day, sometimes big ones, but... Um, I know, I know who I am now, and I know who my father is, and I know, you know, I know what's really going on. So it makes it all that much easier when the when the when the storm hits. I asked Walker, "What would you say to someone 
who is struggling right now, who is wanting to know if Jesus is real, if the Bible is real, if God can be trusted, what would you say to that person right now? Hmm. I guess I would, um, I'd say, first of all, how's it working out? If you, I mean, if you, if you don't have the God in your life, how are things going? Um, if they're going great and you don't feel like you need them, then I would caution you to consider asking him, looking into him, just as an experiment. If it's going not well, I would say, what do you have to lose? Um, so I, I would encourage them to seek for themselves, uh, find someone that they maybe trust or know or seem like they can really talk to and is real. Um, ask Holy Spirit to just come into your heart. Ask God to reveal himself to you. He says he will. He, that's what he did for me. I mean, I, I, I had run from the church and from everything they said for so long that um, I wasn't going to believe anything anybody told me. But when I asked him if he was real and I asked him to reveal himself to me, he did in a big way. And that was, you know, I couldn't, I was still stuck in that life, but I knew at that point. He gave me a sign so clear I could never, I could never forget it. But I would just say, ask him for yourself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read it again. For God so loved the world. Hmm. Put your name there. For God so loved you. And God so loved me. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. If you believe in him. If I believe in him. We should not perish, but have eternal life. This verse means that Jesus took all the judgment, all the wrath for you and for me, so that we could have all the righteousness, eternal life, forgiveness, and goodness. This has been called the great exchange. He didn't deserve our punishment, and we don't deserve his forgiveness, but he chose to make that deal anyway. Have you experienced the great exchange? Have you placed your faith in Jesus and asked him for his forgiveness? What are you waiting for if not? Right this moment, wherever you are, you can ask Jesus to save you. And you can pass from darkness into light, from death to life. Don't put it off another day. Walker, it's been such a pleasure having you with us today to tell your story. I appreciate so much you being here. And uh, I wonder if you would pray us out, if you wouldn't mind. All right, Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. God, I thank you for Valerie, Lord. I thank you for um, this ministry that you've called her to, Lord. I thank you for giving her the skills, Lord. I thank you for um, giving her the inspiration, Father. I pray that you would continue to bless it, Lord. I pray that you would, um, Lord, bring the people to her that have the stories that you want to be told, Lord. I pray that you would um, open hearts and minds and bring listeners that need to hear them. God, I pray that you would um, just continue to expand this. 
Lord, I pray that you would give her just a creative mind to, to know how and when and where to, to make the next move. God, I pray just for her marriage and her life, Lord, that you would bless her, bless her marriage, bless her, her life, Lord, bless her heart today, God. Would you just remind her of how much you love her? God, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for um, just the way that you are redeeming technology. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to do that, continue to move. And Lord, I pray that you would get all the glory. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to True Story Podcasts with your host, Valerie Sawyer. Please drop me an email at hashtag truestorypodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow the podcast on Facebook at hashtag truestorypodcast. Be sure to click follow on whatever podcatcher you're listening to so that you don't miss an episode. I'll be back soon with another true story.